Hello, this is Austin Wintry. This is the Game Maker's Notebook. Today I had the spectacular experience of chatting with a great friend and a really, really exemplary composer, Bear McCreary, responsible for the score in the recent God of War and many other things, including film, television, and a bunch else. Our conversation was so long-winded and elaborate, we actually split it into two recording sessions. So apologies if there's a strange edit or something is redundant and we are repeating ourselves. Now you know why. It was a really fun and fast-paced conversation that had a million tangents. So good luck following us and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to The Game Maker's Notebook, a podcast featuring a series of in-depth one-on-one conversations between game makers providing a thoughtful, intimate perspective on the business and craft of interactive entertainment. The Game Maker's Notebook is presented by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, a member-driven organization dedicated to the recognition and advancement of interactive entertainment. I'm here. This is Austin again, uh, and I'm here with Bear McCreary, the king of the gods of war. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Good. Happy to be here. I want to. I want to get all over the nerdiness. Um, I'm going to start in a super esoteric place. Well, actually, it's not esoteric at all. But something <laughs> that 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 Good is start. not. Yeah. Good well, start. It's it's not an expected place, probably. But something that I think we have in common and that 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 I love about your writing that I think a lot of people would recognize is that you are a melody guy. Mm. And I just wanted to kind of throw that at your feet and let you talk about that and why that might be, because we live in an era, especially in the game world. Well, actually everywhere. Yeah, um, probably actually even more in the movie and TV world. But but um, but in the game world where sort of texture and groove and things like that are king a lot of the time. But yeah. you're one of those people that um, that stands in stark defiance of that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so so why what what about that? Where does that come from? Why is that? Well, I appreciate that observation. I I adore melody. It's the most crucial part of music for me. It's the most crucial part of the music I grew up loving. To me, the test of really great music is if you remember it three days later when you're doing the dishes or you're in the shower. If it just pops into your brain, you can't get it out of your brain. That's what I love about music. And um, and melody is like the thing that you remember. Because for some, it's like, you know, it's, I guess, a, a, like a rhythm, like a, yeah. a, like a groove or a, or a Yeah, but I hook. would also argue that they are easier to remember. A yeah, good I'm, melody I'm is easier to remember, or to put it the way I really think about it, more difficult to forget yeah. than yeah. a riff or a color or a groove. And how this pertains to games, I find fascinating. Because when I was coming of age, listening to Jerry Goldsmith and John Williams and Elmer Bernstein and Danny Elfman and Alan Silvestri and Basil Polidorus, my favorite film music, I was also playing 8-bit Nintendo, Sega mm-hmm. Genesis, Super Nintendo, PlayStation Let me take the PlayStation out of that up through Super Nintendo and the scores in these games were awesome. They were, I, as a kid, they were ultra melodic because they had two things. Yeah, exactly. They had color kind of, they barely didn't have color. They had rhythm and melody. Yeah. So if you want to make a memorable score, you had to make a great melody, not a good one, a great one. 
So Mega Man 2, Super Mario Brothers, Sonic the Hedgehog, I can uh, Final Fantasy 3. Yep. I can go on and on and on and on. We all know. Yeah, I love, have you seen the, uh, you know, the kids react videos? There's one of, you know, kids react to original Mario. And what I love is when it boots and it just, da dun 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 they all start singing along yep. and hypothetically they're all playing it for the first time. Yes. And I always thought that that's proof of the transcendent. Absolutely. And uh, why did I take PlayStation out of that list? Well, let me tell you. Around that time, the technology made it possible for color and groove, but especially color, to be a thing in game music. Suddenly, the notion that you could have a really cool synth texture that was recorded or an orchestra, mm -hmm. a voice, it was mind-blowing. And in many ways, I think it... I don't want to be too controversial here, but I think it set the art form of game music back 15 years where yeah, suddenly, you're not, the, you're not the first to say that suddenly this whole other thing can happen. And PlayStation one, PlayStation two, uh, this notion that a cool groove is game music yep. utterly took over. Uh, obviously there are exceptions. I don't no, want to see totally the comments right. get too angry, but <laughs> I don't feel like I'm going out on a limb here saying that, Games in the late 90s had less melody than games in the early 90s. So in many ways, when I started getting back into games, I feel like the pendulum had already reached its peak in the anti-melody texture is amazing. We can't get over that we have synths and orchestra at our disposal column. <laughs> it started to swing back. And, um, you know, this was after uh, uh, Metal Gear Solid 2, uh, Metal Gear Solid 3, um, and, 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 and I'm, I did my first game in uh, 2008, 2007, so somewhere in there. So the idea of having a melody in a game score was not quite as uh, as out there as I think it, as it might have been earlier. Yeah, I think I think the pendulum had started to swing, and right now I it feels to me like it's kind of somewhere in the middle because I hear a lot of people talk about the importance of theme, but then they'll point at something that doesn't strike me as that yeah. melodic, and maybe it's because you know, like you, I grew up listening to the people that are just the unquestionable masters of melody. Yeah. And if, you're, if your reference point is something different or dare I say lesser, your, your notion of what constitutes a theme is going to probably be a lot, I don't know, less memorable or hooky than, because we're, mm -hmm. we're had the same like Polidorus and Williams and Goldsmith. Um, cool. I, I love, I love that. Even, even when you're writing a score, like we were talking a little bit before we started about SOCOM which was that score has a melody that's shaped like a hook. It's like three or four notes that I remember it well, cause it was our mutual friends at Sony. And I remember them talking about it. Um, and hearing it, there's just, it's like three or four notes, but it's in every cue. Yeah. I mean, it's like two hours of music or whatever, where there's this little na 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 over and over and over. Yeah. Um, so it's melodic, even when it's not the big sweeping long, John Williams saying, and I just, I wanted to kind of hear you unpack that a little bit. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, and piggybacking on that, you know, SOCOM 4 U.S. Navy SEALs was an opportunity where color and texture could have absolutely been the driving force. We had a Gamelon Orchestra, a real one, because it took place in Southeast Asia. Yep. So there were all these amazing uh, scales that I learned about and the, the bell tones and the drums that alone, to me, is the signifier of that score. It is oh, my yeah. score that I did with a Balinese Gamelon Orchestra. Nevertheless, I also, to, especially to represent the Western military power, 
put in a really hooky orchestral tune in the French horns that you hear in the first 10 seconds. Yeah. That was important to me. Yeah. It's really, and you recorded that at Skywalker, right? Yes. Um, something that used to happen a lot. And I can't even think of the last time a game score was recorded there. Now it was kind of right at that, that turning point. Um, but we could easily go into the weeds and all these, why don't you back us up? Because there, one of the things that's always fascinated me and kind of annoyed me is, uh, if I'm going to just be honest, is that there's a lot of composers in games that aren't really gamers. Um, and I've always found that if nothing else strange, cause I think, how do you even know what you're doing? How do you, how yeah. can you even understand? It would be like, if someone said, I have this movie, you're going to love it. I would love for you to write the score. And you're like, Oh, I've heard of that. That's interesting. I've heard of movies. Yeah. It's just Never like, seen one. it's impossible to wrap your brain around, but, but yet it's kind of normal in games. Yeah. Um, and so especially for people that are kind of for, Again, I'm being a little indelicate, but kind of imported from film and TV, which also happens a fair amount. Yeah, you, it would to to an outsider that would be the perception of you, like not the non-gamer part, but the you know obviously Battlestar Galactica was right. already well established and all of that by the time of your first entry into games. So it's like okay, here comes another one of those guys. Well, for sure, and especially but you be, are a gamer. Well, especially because the first two AAA title games that I did sort of came and went. I'm proud of the games and proud of the work, but in many ways, God of War, I feel, you tell me if I'm wrong, I feel like people feel wrong. like it's my first game. Oh, like, no. I'm like, I mean, like, I, it might be the first time. Or the first time a gaming audience has like picked up on yeah, who that, I am. That could very well be. You know what be. I mean? Uh, but but in, the reality is not that I um, come from a purely film and television background, but I, I, I grew up playing games. I, I, adored game music. The first music I ever made myself, I got a Yamaha PSR 510 when I was like a freshman in high school, which had a sequencer built into it, Austin. <laughs> you mean, wait, I, I can play like a drum thing and put it on this track? What was music to you prior to that? Like, like was it purely pick up a, you know, I took piano, piano and I, I was like, and a, an accordion. And I didn't pick up piano accordion until much later. Now I was a piano. I, I studied piano. I, I played piano and I would listen to film music and I would transcribe it. I had these lengthy transcriptions of Danny Elfman or John Williams music. So composing was some more or less extension of piano basically. Absolutely. And I began to write my own music and just imagine it, but it was limited by my facility as a player, by the color of the instrument so to get a keyboard that could i could sequence in a string idea and then play it back and put a brass idea on top <laughs> it just blew my mind it blew my mind um and the first music i sequenced was mega man music yeah i did i did a, my favorite tunes from mega man 2 mega man 3 mega man 4 and i would just get the preset kind of rock grooves and i would make these increasingly elaborate suites and orchestral variations um, cause to me, Mega Man was just like Star Wars. It was just another thing I loved, you know? Yep. So, uh, to do games, to do music for games always felt, um, almost inevitable. Like I, I definitely never had any stigma against it. Um, oh, yeah, if anything, clearly. I was always sort of actively seeking it out. What, what, um, at least at that point, the answer's probably changed, but would there be kind of the dream game genre, you know, games, obviously even more than films segregate into genres that have almost nothing to do with each other, you know, yeah. from shooters to strategy games, to role-playing games, to point and click adventures, to yeah. any manner of esoteric indie games that don't slot anywhere easily. Yeah. What, you know, is there obviously having made 
games that are very action oriented. Yeah. Is there a genre that, or like a game you've played recently, or you remember playing then? I'm giving you 50 ways to go yeah, with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, Like, what else do you uh, want to do, Bear? Yeah, exactly. Uh, look, I mean, what I love about games is the the deep dive. You get to really collaborate closely with the developers um, and and have a unique experience that's just different than film and TV. Um, I, so I, I, I almost would just want to do any game that would allow me that kind of experience. Um, certainly, uh, all the games that I've done have a, have a large kind of action sweeping. Very little romance in, in uh, yeah. SOCOM 4. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, I mean, especially in an, in a post sort of God of War environment where um, I got to tell a really sophisticated mature story with great characters and great cinematics. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, those don't come along all that often, you know, and, and in many ways I, I would almost love to do a, a, a journey type. I mean, the kind of game that defined the early part of your career where it's such a different um, emotional experience for the player. You, your music serves a different function. I mean, even like a, like a game that was reminds me of that. Like I, with my daughter on, on my iPad, I played Monument Valley and Monument oh, yeah. Valley two. And it's just like, I want to live in this world. Nah, no. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh my God. And I see, like every game you work on, I see the trailer and it's just like, that's beautiful. Um, that would be fun for me. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, but really it's just the, the the um, ugh, another one. Like, dude, I, I want to do like, I want them to like make a new uh, like Tenchu Stealth Assassins or maybe make that long fabled Ninja Gaiden 4 that's actually good. I want to do like a shameless, awesome kick-ass ninja score. Like really, if here's what they, here's here's what I want you guys to do. You're not game. OD'd on Taiko drums and... Uh... No, because it's not that... What I The reason I also love the Ninja Gaiden scores is their shameless use of ridiculous heavy metal. Okay, so like I wouldn't even use Taiko drums. I want to do a ridiculous heavy metal ninja score. Um, that would be so, you know, just something that that's something you can just have so much fun with oh, yeah. where these genres go to their, go to their extreme in a way that movies sometimes don't. I mean, they, they sort of like rein in, this is our audience. We want this demo as well. So it's sort of fun, you know? Well, and that kind of thing, kind of the metal driving guitars and, and that's never far from your, even when you're doing orchestral music, that <laughs> DNA true, is there. Dude. It's funny because you're such this sort of nerd and child of the, like you said, the goldsmiths and Williams and Elfman's and whatever. But if I heard your music and knew nothing about you, I would assume that you spent your whole childhood playing in like, you know, Metallica cover bands or, or st starting your own metal band, that kind of thing, because it's so present. Yeah. I in appreciate the that. And I, and it's something I came to love later. I yeah, mean, really that's much the, later. That, that in was life. the question. How did you even, cause you absorb that vocabulary so much and just that, like that, that energy, that need to just the, kind of keep cranking the muscularity of it. But dude, I got that from Jerry Goldsmith. Well, that's do you know a what I'm saying? Point. Yeah. Like I guess first blood is like it's totally man. And even like 13th warrior. Oh yeah. I mean, we, you know, you look at, um, the, the sort of blossoming of Hans Zimmer in the nineties as the muscular action guy, but he was trying to keep up with Jerry. Oh yeah. Jerry Goldsmith. An I old think Hans's big thing was just how it was recorded. Exactly. That's the biggest difference. And, and, and obviously Hans is brilliant at what he does and he's evolved beyond that a, a dozen times over. But it was interesting at that time thinking that like, all right, I got an action picture here. I got Gary Oldman as a terrorist and <laughs> like, who's going to be, you know, and Harrison Ford and it's all action. I want the action guy. It Randy is, Newman, clearly. Well, a, <laughs> bad example. But no, really, who would you go to? Either Hans Zimmer, who was 
what our age then or Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, it was, yeah. This dude is like 75. Yeah. That tells you a lot about what Jerry was doing. But let, let me just backtrack. When I was a kid, I loved film music. That was it. And what, where did that discovery come from? Um, I think it just came from going to the movies. My mom took me to the movies all the time. And when I was uh, five or maybe six, uh, she took me to see Back to the Future. Mm. And I had to see it the next night. I loved it so much. I took my Fisher-Price tape deck and I held it up above my head to record the audio of the movie so I could listen to the music on my own because I loved it so much. And then a few months later... They'll be coming after you for this unauthorized duplication. Alan, I'm sorry I pirated your music. Um, but uh, I realized you could get a thing called a soundtrack album yeah. where they got rid of that pesky dialogue and sound effects and you could just listen <laughs> to the music. So that was, you know, for, for the first 15 years of my life, that was it. They were my rock heroes. They were my action stars. I would go to movies and my friends would come out being like, dude, Schwarzenegger was so cool. And I'd say, did you hear what Jerry Goldsmith did in that score? <laughs> I know. Oh my God, you guys, James Horner did this. Um, then when I was in high school, um, I realized Danny Elfman had a rock band. I realized that as much as I loved Michael Kamen's score to Highlander, I really liked those Queen songs. Yep. Then I found Flash Gordon. So it was Oingo Boingo Queen, then Pink Floyd via The Wall, which was a movie. Mm. Then I found this really cinematic, amazing art form that was rock and roll. And that was my entry into all that. And I started playing, and I still never played guitar. Like, I feel like a guitar guy who's can't play guitar at all. <laughs> I'm like a keyboard player. Yeah. But you're right. I I I definitely um infuse into I, I into my orchestral music, I think a sensibility of 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 rock and roll because I love that kind of punchy aggressive energy. Yeah, I think it's also you, you know, one of the reasons uh you get along with our our mutual friend and agent Richard Kraft is because I think also you have a love of like the theatrical. Yes. And um and that that genre of music, orchestra music is capable of that. It's also capable of like being very polite and mm -hmm. inoffensive yeah. and and you know whatever. Whereas you know metal done politely is broken. Yes. It so it doesn't it, work at all. Yeah, it it's it's by its nature theatrical and over the top and that's I think just in your so you were kind of on a collusion course if I would play psychologist here for Let's a second with Let's with that with that kind of music and that kind of idiom and that kind of storytelling. Cause it was like, you needed to find something that fit your natural personality. I totally. think more than, than it shaping your personality the way it is for a lot of people. Like the meek yeah. kid who finds their first Metallica album and then discovers this inner monster. You're like, Oh, finally something that sounds like how I feel. Well, I'll tell you, I appreciate that. I'll tell you a funny story too. I, um, toward the end of Battlestar Galactica, which I scored with all these like pounding Tycho drums and a really aggressive percussion. I ended up uh, becoming friends with um, Scott Ian from Anthrax, guitarist from Anthrax. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were talking and he goes, dude, you must love Sepultura. And I go, excuse me, what? <laughs> and he goes, well, I mean, come on. I mean, your music sounds like Sepultura. This is amazing. And I go, w what's that? Well, it was this Brazilian metal band from the early 90s from like hardcore side of the genre. And I went and listened to it and I was like, Oh my God, Scott, this music is amazing. I love Sepultura. I've only heard two songs, but I love them. And then that sort of, um, I ended up tumbling into the, the, the really like heavy metal side of things and ended up doing the, 
the Doomstar Requiem, the heavy metal opera that uh, was part of Metalocalypse on Adult Swim and working with those musicians on Godzilla. But it, but it was funny in that one of the reasons I discovered how much I love heavy metal is that a guy who'd been doing heavy metal his whole life heard my music and assumed I must know these bands. Yeah, I love that. Um, and so it was interesting. I, I definitely took that uh, that seriously. No, but that's, right. that, that's a compliment, though, to because most hardcore fans or whatever or students of a given genre can see through somebody that's just kind of superficially skimming off the top. They can be like, that's yeah. not the re- you know, the chords, but you don't really get metal. That would be the 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 sort of assessment mm-hmm. if it wasn't coming from an authentic place and they would never yeah. be pulling deep cuts like that and throwing them at you. Uh, if it was just this kind of, well, what was neat weird. too, is that there was a sense of community that Scott was, he, he was hearing something in my music and sort of telling me what he, he wasn't, we didn't realize he was telling me is like, there's a whole other group of musicians that are into the same things you are. Yeah, right. And he was totally right. I mean, I, and and uh, not only my like musicality, but even just my social life. I just started hanging out with these guys and and I think that story sort of comes full circle when I when I finished uh, Godzilla and I wanted to do a cover of Blue Oyster Cult's Godzilla, which is my favorite song of from that band. I wanted to do it for the end credits and I didn't even know how to pitch it to the filmmakers. Like if I even bring this up, they're going to say, no way we'll get some producer to do it. Right. Right. <laughs> so I called up my friends from Metalocalypse and death clock, I called up Serge Tonkian from system of a down. And I was like, I got this weird idea. What, <laughs> what if we just do a demo and we recorded this thing and played it for them. Uh, and it ended up being basically exactly what you hear in the film. But that was a result of like, just how much that kind of heavy metal world had saturated into my life that that would even be, possible under that tense deadline to just call those guys and be like, man, let's, let's do Blue Oyster Cult cover. You know? No, I love it. Um, I'm going to pivot randomly, uh, to Dark Void, uh, because I wanted to talk about this because I remember the first time when that came out, I remember seeing the poster image or like the key art. Yeah. <laughs> and I was convinced it was like this jetpack looking dude. And I remember thinking this is some kind of Metroidvania style game. And I was expecting some very synthy, you know, score of that, like an homage to that sort of thing. Cause I really only was familiar, I think with Battlestar at that point, it probably yeah, wasn't that, a hell of a lot else to not, be familiar with absolutely. still. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I remember when I heard it, I was shocked. It has this super old fashioned melodic sensibility, like yeah. really traditional eighties Amblin Williams, but infused with all that same power. And I was shocked that first off it was an orchestra and second, it was a Los Angeles orchestra. Yeah. You have to, one of the few scores to even do that, especially then. So, yeah. um, what, I mean, I know this was 10 years, more than yeah. 10 years ago. Uh, but just give me some random dark void, Trivia, because that was your entry yeah. into games. It so really like, was. What, what yeah. was, you know, when, how did that come about? Were you, did you hunt it down? Did it just show up? Uh, they came to me. There was a producer named Morgan Gray who had, I think, recently rebooted uh, Tomb Raider. He was the, the creative lead on that um, that brought me in to this game uh, being published by Capcom and mm-hmm. developed uh, by Airtight Games up in Seattle. I was completely foreign to the game world. Um, and... Um, I actually think it was a lot of my naivete about the game world that resulted in the score 
being what it is, uh, because I read the script or the basic outline and, uh, because of Battlestar, I really had been out of touch with games for about five years. I hadn't played the new Metroid. Mm, um, I, 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 I really, uh, I think the most current game I'd played was, was Metal Gear Solid three. And that was like in, in a five year stretch, that was all I'd played. But I, I, I saw this artwork, um, and I just kept thinking of, um, I mean, you called it eighties orchestral Amblin, but even more than that, it was, it was Elmer Bernstein. It was heavy metal, dude. Yeah. That yeah. pulp sci-fi. And I mean, heavy metal, the movie, the movie, yeah, heavy yeah. metal, the Ivan Reitman movie. <clears throat> um, in fact, I hired uh, Elmer's longtime collaborator to play the own Martineau on that theme. That's why it, if it sounds a lot like Elmer Bernstein in the eighties and nineties, I didn't even know that part. That's what, and, and I, you know, which is funny because I, I called her up and I was like, I want to get an own Martineau and play it. And she was like, I'm available for sessions, <laughs> which well, I respect, man. Elmer had been uh, gone uh, at that point. A couple of years, few yeah. years. Yeah. So yeah. her, her main client, uh, indeed uh, the, 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 the own Martineau that she had played on like dozens of film scores and somehow that demand, uh, had, had dried up. Um, but she flew, she, um, I forget where she was coming from. We flew her out. Did you have to sell them? On, like how did they come at you and say, that's what we're after? Cause it's so this such is, a counterintuitive approach, at least based on, you know, the box art. Totally. I know that only now. And this is where I was talking about my naivete. I flew up there. I was so excited and inspired that you'd have to ask one of them. And I'm going to go on a limb and say, I've never asked them this. <laughs> Well, that company doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't anymore, exist, so. but I'm still friends with a lot of the team I worked with, and they're great folks. And one day I might ask them, like, did I just come at you guys with so much enthusiasm that you were literally overwhelmed? And we're like, okay. I mean, were, I do remember they one- They wanted to say no, but they were like, his hair is just well, so and long. I, and I we even no said, I was like, the own Martineau, it sounds like a theremin. And it sounds like a theremin. And I remember one guy going like, um, but I don't want it to sound like an old 50s movie. And I literally said to him, like, trust me, it'll be great. Like, I wouldn't say that now. I would probably pitch it different, more, more uh, delicately. Um, but I also vividly remember sitting up there. And um, this is going to go back to our conversation about being a gamer. Because mm. I just sat there and started bombarding them with questions that in hindsight um, were big existential audio engine questions. Right. Because I'd been annoyed by certain things in games. I hate it. And I still hate it. Although it happens less. If I die at the same place three times and I hear the same, doo -doo -doo, doo -doo -doo, yep. you are punishing me and pissing me off. Yeah, you are I'm preaching like, to the choir right now. I am not inspired to beat the level. I'm inspired to take the game out and break it. Yes, exactly. And office office space style out in the parking lot. Totally, man. And if I'm like walking around doing my thing and then suddenly I hear, da -da -da, da -da -da, oh, there's a, where, where's the bad guy? Yes, where's the bad guy? I'm yes. looking around. The music as proximity alarm. I yeah, hate it. I hate it. stand that it. also. I hate uh, recognizable loops. I hate, it was a thing still, fade outs. Yeah. Fade ins. Hard dropouts at loading screens. All, all this stuff. Yeah. And to be fair, <laughs> I think that's partly, I think you and I share that in common where we're the, we're at that intersection of hardcore gamers who also love movies yes. where like musicality is not, you don't just write a five minute cue for a three minute scene and cut when the scene is yeah. over. Like no film composer would ever do that. No. And so we're used to things having beginning, middles and end. And when you play a game, you're sitting there going, why the hell doesn't this sound yeah. like real music? Right. And I beat the boss and it stops. Yeah. It fades out. Um, and, and as a side note on my second game, 
um, with Sony, where there's a fully fledged audio team, we sat down and addressed many of these questions to the point that they rebuilt their audio engine for SOCOM for U.S. Navy SEALs. It's the one they still use. So in many ways, that with us just spitballing, I want to get rid of this. I want to get rid of this. I want to get... And when I yeah. played SOCOM 4, I mean, say what you will about that game. That blew my mind because when I played the game, I, I think almost most cried. people just won't say. I think, I think but it's, it is long lost, sadly. I know, but it's like when you play the... Check this out. If you play the single player narrative of SOCOM 4, keep in mind almost no one played the game because the network went down the day after it came out. Yep. And then even that, <laughs> 90% of your audience is playing the online, not the single player. But it did all the things that we wanted. Yeah. Every time you started a new, if you died, it would play different music. When you came back to the level, it was different music. It, we had all these adaptive layers. It was really cool. But I remember, I didn't know any of this, Austin, when I went up to Airtight to do Dark Void and I was like, all right, guys, um, how does this work? So like, when you do a loop, how does audio work? Okay. Um, well, <laughs> then it goes back. Can you, I mean, I was such, in a hindsight, I'm sure I was just like a, I was like a, like a steamroller just bulldozing over everything. I go, no, but they like that. Cause I said, like here's what I said. Care, I was like, you know? I was reverse engineering my brain going, can you have a reverb tail? Could you have the loop be mm -hmm. two seconds in from the end of the audio, have a reverb tail, but then it loops. And then the incoming loop has a two second overlap. You can do that. Okay, good. Can you randomize sections? Can, can you get to this spot? You have a two second overlap. Then you're going to go to an A, B, C, or D part of the queue. Can you do that? Okay. Then when you die, do you have to, can we randomize that? Can we create all these? And I'm just, cause they, wanted something much simpler in their defense. They wanted something much simpler. That was the scale at which they were operating. And I didn't realize what I was pitching them is a thing that Sony would ultimately be able to deliver when they had a huge yeah, exactly. hardware based audio team. It wasn't the audio team of SOCOM that made that possible. It yeah. was the audio team because the publisher was the hardware all in. Yep. But I sat there and it was just in the meeting is when I realized Oh, this is all the stuff I want to do. And the holy grail of it, if I could boil it down, the pitch was what, what you were saying. I want it to feel like there's a composer conducting an orchestra, watching me, moving his or her body and cueing the group based on what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. That's what I want. So if things get a little bit better, I want them to just get a little bit better. Or if there's a villain coming, I want to kind of feel some suspense, but not... Feel the, the yep. theme kick in. All of those things that yeah. you can do in film, I just expect to be able to do in games. Yeah, the way I, I like to describe it, I, I, I totally, I've, I've, I've used that exact description of like the composer wizard looking over the shoulder. Um, I remember on, um, uh, the way I like to describe it is if you did a capture, a video capture, and then just watched it, it mm -hmm. should just then play like any film score would. If you mm -hmm. heard the, the music in your linear captured and 50 different playthroughs would have 50 different but equally kind of viable and interesting totally um well all right so then jumping forward from the 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 glorious success of the now deceased airtight games in dark void and our mutual friend Pour, tom smurden for airtight yeah, yeah. i actually scored smurdy? you know i did their last game that that was possibly part of what killed them as a company the supernatural uh, one it was and it was this no it was it was this <laughs> little viking 70s funk rhythm platformer a rhythm like uh like a roguelike sort of thing soul fjord uh i did it because i thought an excuse to go full 70s i'm never gonna have this again yeah and it took all of us down but uh um it was good fun so then yes following the glorious success of that with the massive 
commercial success of SOCOM. Yes, on yes. account of the online game that came out two days before the hack, the internet shutdown, the, the Sony network went down for I think three months. Yeah. Yes, uh, I well, you of, shouldn't have hacked Sony if you knew that you had this game coming. I know. Out. I thought it would get some good press. You, you know, you were you press. were playing a short game. I also thought, you know, seriously, I hacked the network and brought it down so that everyone would play the single player campaign. Yes, and here I did all those great scoring. cinematics. That's why you play a, <laughs> a a multiplayer shooter like that. Well, you had your chance. Um, I know. In the end, been downhill since then. Yeah. Oh, clearly, <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about God of War, the 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 gaming subject du jour. Mm. But uh, worth talking about uh, the the fun way we kind of quasi worked together in this very circuitous way yeah. on Assassin's Creed, because it was a unique situation where we were working kind of in parallel, um, but but very different scores came out of it. And so the Jack the Ripper uh, DLC on Syndicate. What what? Tell me some stories there, because what you wrote was vastly more intense than what I wrote for the for the actual well, yeah, rest of the game. I I what's funny is I, I I hadn't heard your score when I was hired on that, but I knew enough about the story and I know enough about you to know that it was going to be really beautiful and and inspiring. And I but I was also like everything they're telling me they want is not that you know what i mean anti-inspiring it was it was like just motivating it was very much a a horror score yeah Uh, almost disconnected from any assassin's creed kind of trappings well the gameplay also is very different from the core yeah the rest of the game it was the i don't want to go on a limb and speak definitively but i believe the first female playable character in assassin's creed was in that dlc yeah um well evie was playable in syndicate but i think they were making all of that in parallel yeah. because they initially, I remember in the middle of the production of it, Evie was, you played her, I think only on specific missions. And then at one point it was kind of like, this is ridiculous. She should just be, it's two characters that are basically the the two sides of the same coin already. Why are we not just doing that? And so early on they, they committed to that. And I think the Jack the Ripper stuff kind of folded in with that, but I don't really know. It's all very, yeah. Smoke and mirrors from from our POV. Yeah, well, I mean, and all I knew was that the direction that I was hearing was something that was like very aggressive and psychotic and percussive and and, and things you don't know anything. about. I don't know. Yeah, it was a stretch, um, but it was like so. I used a lot of. Um, um, I had recently for Black Sales, I had acquired a a, a piano from uh, Miriam Cutler of all people oh, nice. that I destroyed. Uh, to make think. the main title for Black Sails. So we had this like piano sitting around that we destroyed further mm. for Assassin's Creed, hence all the like clanging and scraping. And Does anything it, remain of that piano? It is somewhere. It exists. Miriam, it's out there. It's alive. But I forget it's where. Kind but of it, in it's, the ICU by the sound yeah, of it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not in good shape. But uh, uh, Black Sails and Assassin's Creed it came out of this. I mean, it was like a valiant, of those. a valiant um, sort of closing life for that piano. But yeah, uh, no, but yeah and then really finally cool. when I heard, you know, when I heard your score, it's like uh, I, I I felt validated in that I, I was I, I, I was like, I think what you're going to do is very different. And it, and it was I only hope that I didn't like 
you know, yours is so beautiful and, and mine <laughs> is just so horrific, you know, that I'm just thinking about like, like fans that consume them both at the same time. There's a little schizophrenia involved, but, but I guess we're talking nah, about Jack the Ripper, right? It's so, true. No, it's justified, but it's funny how your, you have a very, um, turbocharged production sensibility as it is, but that really called for it. It was, it's very, it hits hard I and yeah. it's full, full blooded horror. And I remember hearing it and thinking, Jesus, if you listen to this and then my score, it just sounds, mine sounds like a demo. It sounds like, so when's the rest of it going to, when are you going to add in <laughs> no. the other instruments and stuff? No, no, it, you're, it sounds great. It, but Well, it's just funny because we yeah. went intentionally for something a little kind of well, yeah, lean you, and mean. You leaned away from those kind of modern trappings that I doubled down on uh, for the DLC. It was, it was, yeah, it was pretty funny. It's humbling. It's, it reminds me of, there's a little indie film that I did that we scored in this very kind of, um, like Morricone in the Giuseppe Tornatore v- mode. So it's like this very romantic movie, like Cinema Paradiso and Elena. Yeah, Legend of Nineteen. Legend of Nineteen Hundred. Yeah, yeah totally. it's it's in that vein. Like harmonica, like very <clears throat> sweet romantic harmonica is the lead instrument, and it's this wonderful little indie that I did. I, I really love this film, and I've done a lot of composer master classes where I'll show a scene that's there. It's just a montage scene that's all score. And then I'll put some of the Dark Knight in the same scene just to showcase how wildly different the scene becomes for for when people have never thought about this stuff before. And I learned a long time ago, never, ever start with the Dark Knight because my score is so small and intimate by comparison. Oh, yeah. It it sounds like I'm showing an unfinished product. And I I just realized, like, Jesus, this is so made me really appreciate all over again the level of production that goes into a score like that, just yeah. the outrageous depth of just sheer number of tracks and stuff. And I felt yeah. like that. I remember one time uh, yeah. playing back something and then I listened to that Jack the Ripper uh, stuff and I just thought, good Lord, this is, this is not fucking around. This is really, uh, <laughs> this, this hits it, hard. So you know, it and it's such time. a different mindset. I mean, I, 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 I love writing in the style that you're describing. It feels to me like I had a similar experience on a film called professor and the Madman. That was very much like I just wanted it to be like Age of Innocence. Yeah, it was all live. Yep. You know, no that that score I loved that score it, first off, and also Syndicate heavily featured Sandy Cameron, so they have oh they yeah have, that's uh, right yeah they have that in common as well. But that score really um, I loved. It. I was actually in Paris this summer um, uh, for a meeting, and it had, I think you had just recently put it out. So I opened it up on Spotify and just wandered the streets of Paris and listened to the whole thing in one go. And oh God, it was sounds... a really kind of beautifully gothic experience. <laughs> yeah, to be wandering. Wow. The only thing that was a little weird about it was that it was 10 trillion degrees. It was a major heat wave. Oh, wow. So listening while just drenched in sweat was. Yeah, that was probably not part of your conception of that score. But not it was really. uh, it, it was actually I could see how you would link them because it's it's all about the elegance of the instruments and not trying to just stack the sound. Yeah, it really worked. It's great. Yeah. But you are right that it has to live in its own world. And you can't break the spell and come back. Like there yeah, was yeah. some stuff in Professor and the Madman. Um, the reason I used Sandy Cameron, I love that you brought her up, is that for the Madman, I had a draft where it's like, okay, I've got this beautiful theme for the Mel Gibson character, but for the Sean Penn character, I'm gonna have like drums. Like he's crazy, so the drums. And, and of course, it's me. So I'm like stacking drums. Like oh, I gotta add a little electronic kick down the. <laughs> then it's like so huge. And I watch that scene and I'm like, this is awesome. That guy's crazy. Yeah. But then you go back to a solo cello and a flute and it's like, 
what is this? Yeah, this yeah, is it's nothing. Movie, you know? It's not even music. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I realized like, I can't fall back. It was like a crutch. Yeah. I'm falling onto a crutch to make it sound that produced. So right. I, then I was like, I need something small and acoustic that can have that kind of energy. That's where I went to Sandy's uh, performance. Right. Like, something that can sound like an amazing synth, yeah. but it's just a violin. You but know? it's inhumanly virtuosic. And, and yeah. uh, that's a, so that's a great, uh, pivot then to God of War, because one of the things I want to just go through everything you have to share about it. Everything. This is in 12. I know you have other stuff today. <laughs> I we've, we've coordinated, we cleared your whole schedule. Let's do the it. The rest of the day is open. The nine um, hour commentary. That, yes, exactly. This is just going to be a real time. I'm going to fire up the game. Let's play all 20 hours. And, yep. Yeah. So that one, here's the thing that I loved is it's, it's a huge sound um, at its biggest moments. And the, the thing that I really particularly loved uh, was that it actually doesn't lean very heavily on those biggest moments. It leans so much on the intimacy and yeah. the kind of heartfelt nature. But it's also it's very organic. It's big in the in the in the two hundred year tradition way of being big, not in the thing you were just talking about. Yeah, like nine layers of toms and then like an eight oh eight. Yeah, beefing it out just because there's a few few hertz unclaimed <laughs> still at the bottom range. Like, it's yeah. really, it's really organic, but it's, it's gigantic. I mean, it's just so, so let's start from the beginning with it then, because this was a many years process, as I yes. recall, yeah. like you were involved before the game was even greenlit. Green, yeah. So, I was, uh, my, I had half an hour of music completed for the build that PlayStation greenlit to make the game. Like the pitch. The build. pitch. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I, I was I had half hour, half hour. Wow. And so what was, I want to hear, did you produce, did you record and yeah, stuff for done that? with, with live players and everything? Wow. So, um, where'd you do that? Was um, that- it was, it was soloists with a quartet. So there wasn't orchestra. Got it. It's like sweetening mock-ups and stuff. Well, not even, let me go to the very beginning. Cause right. I, I can feel you beginning. fishing around the weirdness of this. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I love the weirdness. They approached me about, it was, uh, Pete Scaturro and Keith Leary approached me about something so i go in and veiled in secrecy as everything is there yeah you know um sony if they could have their way you'd still not know what the game was literally and (laughs) there are actors that that's the case yeah they don't know the game they don't know the character there was an actor friend of mine who i was texting and i was like you're the best character in god of war and she didn't even know (laughs) she was like what i'm like the the valkyrie queen is like like people, there's like video reaction videos to your character. Like people love your character. It's a brief appearance, but it was one of 12 bosses. You right. know what I mean? It was like, anyway, and she's probably one of these very tenured who's for sure. She'd done a hundred, done a thousand games. games. Exactly. Yeah. So it's They're funny used to that. I was like, are you the Valkyrie queen? That's amazing. Okay. But anyway, that's so funny. So I figure out in the course of the conversation <clears throat> that I think we're talking about a new God of war. You know, they're asking me about choirs and percussion and mythology. And I'm like, I can, I can just, I, I can just tell that there's, you know, I ask them, is this a new God of War? And they, they, their version of not revealing a secret reveals. I've, I've worked with them both before, so yeah. I, I know. Um, the nervous looks at the I know, ceiling. The, the, and the, the, the Keith the, Leary poker face. Yes. Um, which is, which is the most reliably telling <laughs> Thank God he doesn't play poker much. I suspect. Yeah. I know. It's very. It's, I love well, him. The trade-off is he's a very genuine 
genuine guy. Know. You know, and you know what's great too about both of them and everybody there. It's like they really give you just like blunt feedback that makes the music better. Oh, and yeah. even when it's like, you know, this is good. It's like, yeah, but how can we make it better? You know, yeah. I can I can tell you have ideas. Let's let's <clears throat> get into it. And they do bring great. Sometimes the music departments are there just to kind of help the production get over the line, but they'll give feedback on mock-ups and on themes. And, and I interact with them very differently than, than anybody else. Everybody else <clears throat> on film or, or games that I interact with, I, I tend to filter what they say and try to realize uh, what are they really saying? Yeah. Yeah. Translate it like I some translate. therapist. Exactly. But with, with the Sony team, I, I really don't need to. And I can I can just ask them questions that I would normally ask somebody on my team or a mentor. I'd be like, oh, God, what do I do with the orchestrations? Or do you think the French horn registers wrong? Like, but I can just bring it up in the room, like a really detailed question, you know, yeah, is that ostinato say, too fast? And, yeah. You know, normally questions like that invite disaster. If you if you kind of open up the toolkit so much that you invite people in, they don't yeah. realize what they're asking you to do and they can, they can, I mean, you know, oh, yeah. you know yeah. very well how, how quickly things can go crazy. But with them, you could say, you know, should the melody go up instead of down here? And like, oh, there is a note in the theme to God of War. Um, that's my favorite. That it was the only difference between my first demo and the final was this, a note that went down. I think it was at the end, the, bah, bah, bah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's awesome. But it didn't do that. Uh, do you know what I mean? And Pete and Keith were like, this thing where it's like, bah, 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 or whatever it was, I don't know. It just, it's good. No, it's good. It just feels a little, and I was like, it's not rocking. Is it, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and then I tweaked it and it was like, I mean, I've had people come up to me and been like that, those three notes. And I'm yeah. like, Oh, the low ones. I go, no, 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 no. You don't do it very often. But like at the, at the end, it's, yeah, it's the tail it's end the, of the melody the and- fanfare at the end. It's the, yeah. you know, it's almost like the happy ending for his theme. Well, it's a full, not to get ahead of ourselves, but what I loved about that theme, I've, I've had the great pleasure now of conducting it multiple times. And it's like those old fashioned, John Williams in particular, Goldsmith, where in the main titles sit setting, it yeah. has full fledged A sections and B sections and things that you basically never hear again. It's a piece of music, but it's, tr- yeah, yeah, it's treated with its own self-contained kind of dignity. And, uh, and that's just so, I hate to always be that guy that leans on nostalgia. I'm so over nostalgia as a thing. Cause I just, yeah. it's but like, there's a difference between like nostalgia for its own sake and being able to articulate the craft within the older things that yeah, I think you resonate it. with. Yeah. And to me, here's the thing. It's not nostalgia, nor is it rocket science. It's song form. Yeah, it's true. It's basic. It's tried verse, and true. chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, and damn, you miss that chorus, don't you? I'm going to hit you with the chorus again. <laughs> exactly. Do you know what I mean? So that's true. why pop music works. And that's why um, when people, when we listen to our, our favorite John Williams albums, I'll bet most people are like me, the last track of The Empire Strikes Back yeah. That end credit suite, you probably listen to more than the other stuff. Yeah, no, for sure. And I'm not I'm not faulting the score, but it has that shape. Yep. It walks you through it. And that's why, like, on all my films, I try to do a suite of the... I just because it's like, that's what those guys gave us. Yeah, yeah. You know what I so mean? So true. And and, <clears throat> so, and so you you stepped into that very nicely here. Um, I but digress, so the, I've been trying to answer your first question. Yeah, I was going to say. So tell so us who you are, where you are. All right, so... The idea in the beginning was 
to musically deconstruct God of War to the degree that it was narratively deconstructed. Mm. So the idea was, look, no orchestra. Can you score a God of War game with like, like I, we want like folk instruments and like drums. We talked a lot about Black Sails, which was scored yeah. with nothing but- no, it's pirate metal. It's pirate metal. Yeah. Uh, and we talked about Outlander, um, but not even the sort of strings, just like, like a frame drum and like some, you know, fiddle, Hardinger fiddle, nickel harpa. And so it. Well, and all of Battlestar is essentially like that also. I mean, this is not unfamiliar territory. So it was, I think it was really obvious why they were bringing me in to, to explore that. So even in that version playing the, uh, you know, having a string quartet, which would at least allow like, well, there's a four or five voice chorale that I can do. That was orchestral in the context of everything else. And I wrote a theme uh, uh, for Kratos that was going to completely sort of break the mold of what God of War was, what he was. And it was a Hardinger fiddle with this little quartet. So that melody. That was the theme for God of War Ah. in the beta stage. Wow. And it was all just like a little tiny percussion. It was all small and scratchy and raw. And, uh, and the, the game was eventually greenlit. I did some themes. I did some combat stuff. I did a couple of cinematics. In, it was all in that vein. All, all of it in that vein. Yeah. Um, very similar to what eventually was debuted at E3. Mm-hmm. That well, had, except that was not it, shy though. I mean that. That's, but I mean, if you m- pull out the orchestra, if you can imagine it was sort of like, it was like we meet him and. His son, they go on a little adventure, they fight some guys, they kill the deer at the end. Yeah, right. That's sort of what they presented to Sony. Yeah, but it yeah. was like the super raw, m- musically, it was like very small. And um, when the game was greenlit... Um, was that exciting to you? Before you get into that, was that was hearing that exciting? Or was it one of those that because you have dipped your toes in that, you were like, oh man, I really want to do a big giant orchestral thing with God of War. Like, did you have... I, I was quote, excited. There no, with- I, I, my, my agenda really was to completely strip it down. I loved that challenge. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That was, um, I certainly relate to that, but I, I sometimes, you know, someone shows up and you know, like, if someone says, Hey, we're making Star Trek and you immediately think like, oh, I can, I can smell the 40 French horns now. And they're like, we're going to subvert it. It's string quartet. That, and sometimes that isn't fun. Yeah. That's sometimes it's curious. sort of like, no, that's not why I want to do this. And to a degree, yeah. like, like on child's play, when they asked me to do it and I watched the film and I loved the film and it was tempt, it was a decent temp, but it was all orchestral. Right. And I was like, no, like I love this movie and I want to like play hurdy gurdy and toy pianos and your automaton and my and automaton choir. And it's like, <laughs> and, and I'll sing on it. If you're down for that, I'm in. But it, yeah. if you want, this other thing, I now have my heart set on the the other ideas right. so much that I I kind of have to do it. Yeah. And this so this was not one of those. This was no, it really the wasn't. Deconstruction was actually exciting. I mean, and look, I I uh, played uh, all the God of War games. I definitely finished the first two, and I had fond memories of of the second one, which was the one Corey um, Barlog directed, right. returning to direct this. Um. I did not have like this deep, passionate nostalgia for it. Right. So it wasn't like I, I the only thing I really remembered was like there was a there was an aggression level <laughs> in the game and the music. I, I I remember like 
there were there were scenes where it's like I'm fighting like one little thing what the equivalent in like uh the old nes days would be like a slime yeah, yeah but exactly. it's like i remember like the, the choir and it's in latin and it's huge and i was just <laughs> like oh my god this is amazing but it's assaulting me yeah yeah you know what i mean so i loved the idea of like i don't even quite know where we're going with the game but like let's strip it down yeah um and then i met Corey, and he he told me the story of the game. And I, I can't emphasize enough how much that changed my perspective on what the music was going to be, what the game was going to be. This guy is a storyteller. He's yeah. a filmmaker. Um, he's also a great game maker, but I mean, his emphasis on story is unlike anybody else I've encountered in games. And I think it's evident in the game. The game, I think, especially with the, with the much touted, never cutting the non camera cut approach. It's interesting how cuts and editing is, is part of the DNA of what makes a movie a movie. And yet yeah. somehow it makes it more filmic that we never break that perspective. And yes. yet that's something only a game in realistic terms. I mean, there are movies that, that sure. do that novel experiments, but, but um, that's something that only a game could really pull off that. Well, I yeah. think for that scale of time. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Certainly. You know what I mean? Like, and for, and yet it's, it's, it's kind of like, I, I talk, there's some filmmakers I talk to who are, who are actually passionate about games and that's a kind of a small demographic. And it always seems like, especially when you look at the film adaptations of games that have come and there's just so many misfires, it's because they always learn the wrong lessons from games. And, and then a lot of movie, a lot of games that are trying to be more cinematic, yeah. they learn the wrong lessons from movies also. And Naughty Dog has done a particularly good job at figuring out what, what can movies teach us and yet apply, yeah. um, and I know that's like Kojima's big obsession, but this was one that had a different way in. You, of course, there's an influence. You can feel the influence of Naughty Dog, uh, Naughty Dog for Last sure. of Us, uh, and stuff all but, over it. Yeah. But it's it's still very much a God of War game. Yeah. But that was. I'm curious how much because I've had those conversations of we want this to feel filmic, and I'm always kind of like, what does that even mean? You know, because I kind of know what that. You know what's interesting? Means, but that, that's I. Now that you mention it, I do recall that, and I having that on other uh, other projects and it, and it is always sort of a it it doesn't help you right cuz it's like it's like the you know you want it to be cinematic but it's like but what does that mean in this context yeah I, well and you don't sit down when you're scoring child's play and say how am i going to make like, this cinematic like uh, yeah. it's just you're just scoring it you're yeah. just just what's reacting. interesting is I, I don't think the word cinematic came up working on god of war in three and a half years yeah and that tells you something. Yeah. I mean, if it came up, I don't remember it. It right. was certainly never an emphasis. A big driving. It was just the story. Yeah. The story. The story. How are we telling the story? What's happening in the story? What's happening with the characters, their arc? These are all words that go into making something cinematic. But I don't think exactly. Corey felt obligated to make it cinematic. Do, do you know what I mean? Oh, it, absolutely. It, in a way, the story is told far better in the game than it would be in a movie. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's one of those, to me, the best games are the ones that that is their, that is their home. They can't like when I, every now and again, someone says to me, it would be so cool if someone made a journey movie. And I thought, what on earth are you talking about? How, yeah. how could that, how could a wordless purely yeah. sort of symbolic allegorical, like nothing about that. It would be the dumbest, most boring movie I've ever seen in my life. And, yeah. and, and yet the game is beautiful. Yeah. To me, God of war, this God of war um, and a, even, even a game like the uh, last of us embraces that where a film adaptation with this will lose something really important in the process. Like, I don't know if you've played the new call of duty, for example, but I the, haven't yet. It's like, 
it's the closest I've think I've seen yet that really shatters uncanny Valley problems. Yeah. Like there's yeah. some shots in that where I thought, Holy hell. Yeah. And, and God of war truthfully is right there too. I mean, and, and it, and, and one of the reasons it is, is that it's, it's so well-written and acted and all, all the other components are firing on all cylinders that you're just brought into the, the drama. I mean, I, and I really was so inspired. I mean, sometimes scoring some of those cinematics, um, rank up with some of my fondest creative memories of my entire career. I, I don't doubt it. And you, know you can I mean? feel it. It's one of those, we all try to give it everything we've got on, on everything. But like when you look back over the career of Goldsmith, it, you can tell which movies spoke to him. Oh, hundred percent. Versus the ones where he was just trying to be the best professional he could be. Yeah. And him. And don't you feel like we always try to, we always try to give it everything we have, but every once in a while, a project comes along that, gives back to you. Oh yeah. It makes you as better you than you do can it. Be. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And when you're done, you're like, wow, I'm never going to be the same again. Oh, like, for sure. Creatively. And maybe even personally. Yeah. And, and, and those are 100%. rare, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And you hang on to those. Um, it felt like that with God of War. Cause I played it. I mean, I'm always, there's a few composers and you, you among them where I will always check out what they're doing because I'm just, I'm, it has this instant intrigue. Hmm. Uh, Cause I'll, I just, I've, I've been rewarded so many times now. It's like how many seasons of Battlestar and even even things like Agents of Shield and I mean it just it goes on and on where I I I will have that automatic um predisposition to want to check it out. But this one had a lot of other I was already familiar with God of War. We have all the Sony friends in common. Yeah. Um and uh and it was being presented as kind of a rebirth of this. So I'm curious. So then and and we've spoken about this a little like what what did you think of it? I mean, when, well, oh, you, you know what I mean? Like w when you heard it, I mean, especially like sort of like, were you able to separate from the, 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 the old uh, versions of it? And also, you know, you know exactly the process I went through, who I collaborated with, the you know, you, you, yeah, you know, all I, of that I, stuff. I, absolutely. It, it's funny because I, I'm perpetually behind schedule with games. Like there are games from 10 years ago that are still in my Steam library that I just think I'll get to it. I know I'm going to get to I it. I know. I yeah. refuse to delete it or like uninstall it because then yeah. it will go gray and I'll never think of it again. Um, and so I have this kind of idealistic, uh, optimistic, unrealistic <laughs> yeah. desire to truly get through my whole backlog, which of course presumes that they're just going to stop making new stuff, which yes. of course exponentially is not true. You just have to retire at 50 and play games the rest of your and life. And hope you live to be 300. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, this was one. So as a result, often what happens is if, a, if, if someone like yourself uh, releases something and I, I will often just go straight to the album because I think, I know realistically that it will be a year or two or three before I ever even play this. And I'll write one of those stupid tweets four years from now. That's like late to the party, but yeah. this turns out to be a really good game. Uh, I've just been that guy so many times. And what happened with this one was I remember the E3 thing and I remember shooting Keith a text and, and Pete and saying, maybe you also, I can't remember and being like, wow, that was, that's how you do it. That's how you, <laughs> that's how you announce a game all for that. Love that. Um, and, but I didn't really feel like I walked away with a sense of what the score would be like because it also had the trappings of just the live sound and it, it was not a <clears throat> produced thing sure. to the degree that I knew the product in the end would be. So I kind of thought, color me intrigued. Um, let's see what happens next. 
flash forward, it comes out. I, I remember in relation to everything I just said, I just started streaming the album on Spotify and I made it like four, three or four tracks in and was so overwhelmed by how like sentimental it was. Mm-hmm. And of course it announces itself with this big blood and thunder kind of opening, which is what we had heard a version of, uh, but now properly and was like, yes, that's, that's, that's God feels, of war. That's yeah. God of war. It's also, that's bear. Uh, like <laughs> yeah. that's not nothing about that makes me think I wouldn't have guessed he had it in him. It was yeah. like, no, that's coming from the source. Yeah. Um, But then to your credit and to the team's credit, after three or four tracks, I stopped and I said, I want to play this. No kidding. Um, and I, I quit listening to the album and I started playing the game that night. Wow. And I can't think of the last time I've, I did that. Um, so it, for me, it was, it was so clear that it kind of got into a personal place with you. Everything you were just saying about things that give back to you. Yeah. And, uh, that was tr- coming through so strongly that I didn't want to subvert the experience of the game by every 20 minutes going, Oh, I remember this cue. I remember that this makes cue. me very happy. Yeah. Well, and I don't think I ever told you that, uh, but I, it was, it was very, it was very like, I remember messaging you to say, yeah. this is surprisingly lyrical for a thing called God of war. <laughs> yeah. Um, but of course, after you played the game, yeah. How could you it be understand? anything else? Exactly. Yeah. How could it be anything other than that? No, it was, it was, so at what point did it pivot to, okay, we actually do want the hundred piece orchestra and blah, blah, blah. Well, it was almost immediately after being greenlit. Uh, then, then, you know, the note came back, like, you know, you're on the game. This we're moving forward. We're moving into production. Was there any, it had to be one of those formalities. Basically. It was, I mean, it was, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I think couldn't if, possibly if have Sony thought. hated the music in the build, I might not have been, but you know, I mean, it was sort of like, but even, that, but the green lighting itself. Oh yeah. Strikes me as something that they have to do, but I couldn't have been really, I don't know. I don't know that. For, I don't know that for sure. But I, I remembered thinking like, and I'm always very cautious in terms of like, you know, going, that's for sure going to happen. But when they called and was like, the game's going to happen. I was like, okay. Like to a degree, I wasn't surprised because it like really was something special. I had that. You're right. Like the first time I saw Battlestar Galactica or the first episode of Walking Dead and you're like, this is a thing they've made. A th- yeah. This is a, th- this is not an other thing. This is that thing that yep. people talk about for like a long time. Yeah. I just feel it in my bones. Yeah. So I wasn't surprised, but I was also like, um, relieved for Corey and everybody on the team. And cause it had been, you said six, seven months, something at like least. That? I mean, I, if I, uh, yeah, there was all, sort of like, yeah, six or seven months passed between me finishing the first build, the presentation, whatever you want to call it, the pitch and then getting the call, it's like, it's go time. We need, we're doing the game. Yeah, got and it. And the first thing we need are themes. And by the way, we're not feeling the Kratos theme. It's too sad. Like, we kind of need him to be kind of like a badass. Yeah. Like, like it. we love all this stuff, but it's like, we need, the pendulum is so far in the other direction. Yeah. Can we swing it back? And what was interesting about that I think one of the reasons that the score isn't as hyper produced in its production that you and literally only you have observed, which I appreciate. <laughs> but I mean, the reason why is it's that? just natural, you know, it's why organic. is that? Because at the core of it, like the 
the, 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 the molten steel at the core of the planet is this scratchy, raw little thing. Yeah. The live ensemble. And then I, okay, we need to like beef that up and we need to have orchestra and drums and all that shit, but we can't lose that. Yeah, yeah. So because it started, it was almost like a, like a Russian nesting doll. You yeah. know, it was like inside... And, and, and of course, the, what you heard on the record is the influence that that had permeated through everything. Yeah. So that even though it got big, it never got so big that you couldn't hear the nickel harpa in there. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and these little it. chugging strings and the, you know, the percussion was big, but there was always like some instruments that were close mics, just like thuddy frame drums and that kind of stuff. So I put, a, I, I threw out the theme that I'd had. And I sketched a theme for Kratos, which was identical to what debuted at E3, except for those couple of notes that Pete and Keith pointed out. I wrote a theme for Freya, um, a theme for uh, Balder, a few other things. And then it was like, it was basically go time. And I was like, I, I feel like this theme for Kratos now, I mean, it was just a matter of the pendulum just kept swinging. I was like, I love this theme. It's awesome. It's so masculine yeah it's so ludicrously masculine yep as a side note my favorite review i had ever heard of anything i've ever done was somebody on twitter said i listened to the god of war theme while i was shaving and my beard grew a beard <laughs> yeah. i, I want to frame that that dude. sounds about right so okay but but it's like chuck norris in music dude for real but you take away the jest and it's like what what are we talking about the the, the, the inherent masculine quality of that theme is undeniable and I said, I, I but what I love is just to, to editorialize a little, uh, or to kind of project, you tell me if this is full of shit or not, because what I love is it's, it's, it is very masculine, but it's, it's, it's masculine in the way that like Conan, the barbarian is masculine, hundred percent, which is still has heart. It's yes. not savage in the, even though he's literally the barbarian. Yeah. There. Basil didn't know how to not be sentimental. Indeed. Like and, and my God of War was a love letter to Basil's work. Yeah. One of the barbarians. It's funny because I would never have. I can see that now. Now that you say that it clicks and it's so obvious, but it doesn't. It's not. It's not like you're you're riffing on Basil isms in the score. Right. Um, but the philosophy behind it almost. But yeah, it's definitely it's like you look at even like Starship Troopers and it's still so melodic and there's still some uh, just achingly bah, bah, beautiful. Bah, bah, what is it? Clendafu drop. Or yeah. Whatever. It's oh, like it's just one of the bah, best ever. Bah, bah, bah. Oh, it's so beautiful. I'll have to send you some time. I did as a joke for I, I, I used to start all my sessions with trivia. I'd get like Amazon gift cards. No way. And, and I would play stuff. And I did a session at Warner Brothers once a long time ago where I'm, I played a piece through the speakers and I said, $100 on Amazon for anybody that can tell me what this piece is and who wrote it, but also whose style I've rearranged it in. And it was the Clendathu drop as if it was done by Thomas Newman a la American Beauty. Dude, it's the, you have to send this to me. I will. It's the nerdiest thing ever. But somehow I think it was like, of course, I think Dan Goldwasser was hanging out in the back. And he <laughs> yeah. knew what it was because, yeah. you know, yeah. one of our nerdy types. But um, Well, that doesn't surprise me at all. But, uh, but nonetheless, yes, Basil, as someone who even at his most barbaric couldn't resist injecting like love and heart and passion. So, yeah, I totally can see that now that you yeah. point that out. So, but I said to the guys, I'm going to struggle with Atreus and especially with the memory of his mom. I... I mean, I can make this theme really beautiful. And in fact, the the game starts with a solo French horn. 
which is pretty, but I just, it's like, I, I know I'm going to need more. Yeah. I just think this, this woman, it's who, a pretty version of something powerful and totally. masculine. As and it sounds somber. Yeah. Like it's sort of the old soldier thinking about the glory day. Even that in its prettiness has a masculine quality yeah. somehow. Masculine and like badass. Like it's yeah. not even just, it's not even just purely masculine, but it's like the violence yeah. side of that. So I just said, I, I think we need a theme for the, for the mom, which can sort of function essentially as a de facto theme for the family unit. Right. Meaning when, when Kratos is talking to his son about the mother or about their relationship, I need something that I can go to that isn't his theme. Because when he tells him, I'm a God and so are you, we use his theme. It's yeah, a no brainer. Yeah, yeah. But there's so a few of those, there's a few of those, those moments or like getting out the blades. For the exactly. First time. You need to be but going you, to that. So place. in order to go there effectively, you need an, another thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it was almost like we have two parents. I just got to have two themes. Yeah. Right. So I just was like, before I start writing something, I'm just going to go back and listen to that playable build from what was at that point a year ago. And it starts off with the, the Hardinger fiddle. I was like, what if I had a woman hum that like a (laughs) lullaby? And that was it. Yeah. The theme underwent no changes. It was, there's a, there's a track that if you take on the album memories of mother, if you sort of strip down the orchestra and had it played on a quartet and a Hardinger fiddle, that was the, that's what the, um, the pitch piece was. Wow. But, but the A, B, A form, it was all identical. So I reskinned it with a bigger choir. I, I went with a big orchestra at the end and I sent it in and I was like, they've technically thrown this cue out. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to say anything. A plus for listening to her <laughs> feedback. <laughs> I'm just going to send it in and be like, here's a theme for the mother. What do you think? And it was a home run. Everybody loved it. That's fine. I don't did even they, know did... if they recognize it. Okay, I never that, talked that... to them about it. I think I, I mean like maybe at the sessions I was like, does anyone remember that? They threw this out. This was the, this was the early, that's funny. Uh, well, maybe now they're going to hear that and uh, retroactively be yeah. so horrified that you pulled a fast one on them. You'll be fired. <laughs> score will never work in. again. And the new edition of the game will have that theme taken out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, that's crazy. Well, this was, as I recall reading online or something, um, was this your first time doing the big orchestra in London thing? It was in London. I had never recorded there you sure, obviously no stranger to big orchestras, but London yes, has this sacred in, in thing LA. with composers. Yeah, yeah, Skywalker on SOCOM and stuff. Yeah, but what, what? Um, I mean, just as as someone who knows the body of work of cinema and how sure. much how how important London and air is to that. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you? It was a surprisingly moving experience you remember which cue you guys started with no but i remember what kind of cue it was it was not an essential theme or anything it was sort of um it was some cinematic some some dialogue scene um it might have even been the opening when he's chopping down the tree and picks it up and carries it to the house you know what i mean like but the, the reason i emphasize its sort of smallness is i um i got up and i I started conducting and 
this like in two seconds, this electrical bolt went into my brain and I almost started weeping. And I'll tell you why. Because there are these sounds I've heard, uh, particularly this thing in the string writing that James Horner would always do, which I like borrow obviously all the time. And I had always thought I was doing it wrong. I, <laughs> I, I really, I was like, you're just not as good. He has some way of having the high violins do this little descending co- contrapuntal line. Like there's obviously a magic he's got that you don't. You yeah. Suck. You know what I mean? And it was like in the room that he did it in with the players he did it with, with the engineer that recorded him. Yeah. I, I almost wept. It was like, oh my God, I can do it. That's the only difference. Yeah. And it's not that LA doesn't sound, LA sounds great. No, but it's, different, it's, it's a different it's sound. It's very subtle color. Yep. And I was. And it is the combo of those things. It's the room, the the instruments, the musicians are playing yeah. on. It's all those things colliding with each other. Yeah. And I was I was really like moved. It was a level of like, almost like a level of feeling like I have arrived. That in a surprising and unexpected way was more profound than the first time I recorded a big orchestra, the first time I did a big movie, the first any of that stuff. It was like getting in that room and just having this little string corral suddenly sound like oh my god that sounds like the music i grew up on yeah and and it's like and totally guess what i can do it (laughs) do you know what i mean well the good news is i think that there's a whole bunch of folks that now that is their i grew up on sound i know um and it uh, is it is funny rounding that corner you know well i it's amazing man i uh i think we better wrap it up um i i could dig into this one for just hours on it we could literally do a play over commentary of the whole game of the whole game. And and, because there's just every cue has a story to tell. I think that was also what impressed me while I was first listening to the album, because I thought some every every note seemed to count some score. Like Empire Strikes Back is one of those where there's no filler every no matter how underscorey throw away the moment is you could feel that John Williams was saying, how do I make this cue count? And And to bring that that around God of War. Thank you. To bring that around to your point about production, one of the things that happens when you think about it in a Basil Polidorus, John Williams way, you say it sounds, it sounds big, even though there aren't like, you know, nine tracks of kick drums and all that stuff. Every frequency isn't filled, but it's like the space is filled in a more traditionally orchestral way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So that like having it, like even just look at the main title, like the third time through the theme at the end is the biggest. Why? It's it's not because the brass are going more blah than they did the first time. The first time around, they were at 11 already. They can't play louder. (laughs) But there was a contrapuntal line I added the second time around. And then the third time around, I added another one. So that the gaps are getting filled by just that like good old fashioned orchestration. So that like your, your brain is hearing more things that are like tucked into the cracks and it's very it's like building a house of cards it's like very intricate and it takes a long time yeah but it's but it's very satisfying and ultimately um it it sounds big in its own world you know what i mean and oh it does well yeah it defines its it defines its sound out of the gate as 
you know, playing in the traditional kind of rules. And so we're not listening for the kick drum production stuff anymore. And then it just, it overwhelms you, washes over I'll tell you another thing that's interesting about that as it pertains to scoring and, and, and for game and film and TV is that a lot of those scores um, that are hyper produced, mine included, when you turn your speakers up all the way and you play them and they're mastered on the album, they sound awesome. I mean, you're just like, I am a God. Listen to this. It's amazing. In the context against sound effects, they don't sound awesome. Yeah. A lot of times they're, they're barely there. Yeah. When it's just hyper produced drums, like dun, 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 dun. And then like, like you can fill the stereo track with that hundred percent easy. That's really easy for a, on a, a mixer on the stage. Go, that's getting in the way of the, punching they pull it down and then there's nothing left yeah when you don't have a little piccolo line that's or or these little orchestral things that like fill the cracks yep then sometimes more of it sort of seeps through the final mix you 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 hear it more it's certainly true in god of war i distinctly remember feeling the score at all times and that is a game that's not lacking in full bore oh my god yeah crazy sword clanging and explosions from magic and like yeah. it, it, lots of violent yelling and, and, uh, yeah, and it's really, really oh, well mixed. You. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of that goes to the, you know, that all goes to the, the Sony team making space for all that stuff. But, but the music has enough, like you said, it, it's that piccolo sometimes it's weird how that may be all that you hear in that bar. Yeah. But your ear kind of will fill in the rest like this Rosetta Stone thing yeah. because you've built the language, the vocabulary. We kind of know what you're doing, even if we don't hear it. And it just creates the impression afterward of, yeah, that was fucking massive. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of, um, it, it's very, it's a very fun way for me to work on a game because it really like I had, I had the space to write the kind of music that I really wanted to write and that long time to just develop the themes and kind of fall in love with them. And then, and then getting the cinematics. I mean, I think the thing that I'm the most proud of is the, the, the ludicrous amount of time and money and resources that went into the cinematics. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, like especially after I played the game and it really dawned on me, it's like, I've been playing this for a week. I'm getting to 25, 30 hours and 50% of what I did, you, you only hear once. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, it, it's, it's, over. it's just it's like a fleeting. It's a season of TV. And there's so, but there's so many games that I play where it's like, you get to the kind of like non-essential cinematics and it's like, I know that cue. Yeah. Oh, I know. And I listen for it and I'm admittedly kind of a snob about it. I understand why it happens, but on God of War, it's like, I'm so proud of the fact that like, this is a scene where like, it's not a big scene. It's, it's sort of important. Like he, he like, you had to go on a fetch quest to get the thing to bring the medicine back. So she would heal your son. Like in, 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 in the old Zelda days, it would have been do, 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 do. Yeah. That's it. It was like, whatever you, you (laughs) achieve the thing or it's like, it's just dialogue. But instead I spent a day and it's on the record. It was called, um, what it's called the healing or something because it was like so layered his kratos theme the mom theme the freya theme hints of the balder theme and it was like every line of dialogue it's like you're talking about you're talking about this thing but like we know later that freya is actually talking about her son balder we don't even know but i'm gonna i'm gonna put it there and it was like so ludicrously layered i think i ended up there was a there was a music theory class 
that when the record came out, tweeted at me, they like broke down the main theme and I was like, oh, that's easy. But if you guys can do the healing, I'll be impressed the next week. They had broken <laughs> it all out and they caught like fragments of the, I mean, it was like, wow. I was, I, I, I tweeted the image. You can find it. But I was like, the level of passion that went in for, for, for me to write that. And again, just that Sony like said, let's do, let's spend three, let's spend, you know, a half an hour of our full orchestra time to score the scene when you bring the thing back yeah. and wake up your son. That's, no, that is a dedication that, that is, that is beyond. They, they leave no stone unturned. It's, it's amazing how games so often in this end up in this hierarchy of, okay, here are the kind of the real money scenes. Here are the big boss battles. Here are the, sure. this. And very quickly, this pecking order develops where it's like, there may not be music for a third of the game and we're just going to music edit our way to the finish sure. line. And I remember I, I had a conversation with the producer once on a, on a game and I was like, you got to get me the last cinematic, dude. We're recording like in two days. You got to get it to me. You got to get it to me. And then finally he was like, you know, only 1% of the audience is going to see this. Yeah. Like we know, we, we know Ugh. this, like it's re like it's researched and known. You know what I mean? I, and I was yeah. still like, send it to me. I, I don't care if it's rough. Like it's the, it's the end cinematic, you know? And they did. And I wrote it and they, we had to edit it, but it was realizing that it's a systemic challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I could go. I, I, I so I so eagerly want to uh, to to endlessly dive in. Uh, but uh, we I think we better call there. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I feel good. Good. Uh, it, it's 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 uh, we will. I will forward the hate mail if we are uh, woefully. Yeah. Uh, underserving the um, the desires to plumb the depths of God of War. But uh, maybe we just need to do uh, like it's just a, a weekly a steady, series. I was going to say yeah. a podcast of just you and I bullshitting about games. Yeah, no, that I, I, I would I would be into that. Let's, let's green light that. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting nods of approval. Yeah. Um, no, nah, man. Well, thank you. Thank you again so much. Uh, and uh, and indulging everything I wanted to know about Dark Void and uh, oh, well, thank and you the for rest asking. of it. No, yeah. of course, man. Um, we always like to make sure that you have a chance to plug the ways people I think there's seven people left who don't follow you oh, on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. So uh, those for those seven, people, yeah, uh, I'm on tw I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and um, uh, you know all the usuals. YouTube. I have a fun YouTube channel where I make a bunch of really weirdo videos about my process and behind the scenes footage. Highly um, recommended YouTube channel. And check out my blog at, at my website. I mean, really, if there's a thing that you might not instinctually go to, because like who goes to a website anymore? But if you know pretty much anything you want to know about anything I've done. You can go to my blog and I've probably written like 80 pages. About I was going to say, your blog is exhausting. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, it, is, I, it is. I'm sure it's exhausting to read as it is to write, I but I just got in the habit it. of doing it and I just kept it up. No, it's, it's, it's great and highly recommended. Uh, and with that, I say thank you. Thank you, sir. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to the Game Maker's Notebook. If you'd like to support the podcast and more content like this, please consider leaving us a rating and review. In addition to this podcast, the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences also produces the Dice Summit. To our listeners currently working in games, Dice Summit is the premier speaking and networking event in our industry. Dice will take place from February 11th to 13th at the Aria Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. Listeners will receive 20% off their Dice Summit registration with code GM. N2020. To register or learn more, please visit www.dicesummit.org.